Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Let's Have a Drink, the spooky and spine-tingling podcast where we sit back, relax, and enjoy a delicious drink. Welcome. My spine literally tingled in your soul. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. He literally pushed around like you got a chill or something. <laughs> Took a little uh, little shiver. Welcome yeah. back, everybody, welcome to back, another fun episode. Uh, first and foremost, it is a scorcher for us today, so our windows are cracked open. Uh, so if you hear birds chirping, you hear... Yeah cars driving by the ambient noise hopefully the editing cuts it out the majority yeah. but you might, but we gotta have the windows open guys you, you might your girl is up spaghetti yeah. okay it's so uh, there's been some heat for us and it's not fun because we yeah. got a little glimpse of the cool and then it, and it was, was so lovely and then it was just shot and it down was stolen and away from us it was ripped ripped out of us so um apologies for that but we hope you guys are also keeping cool wherever you guys are absolutely um welcome back what's what are we at season is 17 episode 167 i think yeah, we are sure. Go we have a fun rabbit hole episode this week guys we've got a spooky vibe rabbit hole um you know i think the last time that we did more of a spooky version i gave us kind of a little bit more of a halloween deep dive well this time guys uh, we are going to be digging into a little something more specific and something up my alley. And I was really excited that Curtis was down for this one. Um, and I think suggested it, actually. I did. You really I'm getting kinda... good. you Because it's just better for me to sit, like, again, you, we mentioned it last rabbit hole, saying, yeah. instead of you picking the subject, you let pick me the subject. pick the subject that I know you'll do well with. But you'll like to listen to, exactly. and then it'll, we'll get that engagement. So this week... We are getting into the horror movie genre, and we are getting specifically after three figures that are very important to a certain genre, subgenre of that well, um, that is popular, which yes. is, you know, your slasher movies. We are going the route of uh, fictional this time around. Yeah. We usually choose some more realistic and based on true story settings and shows and stuff like that, and mm -hmm. a lot of it. I mean, I don't think we actually have done a non- uh, non-fiction rabbit hole. So that's why we thought it'd be fun this week. No, to... sorry, you got it wrong. We have done a... Uh... No, we haven't done a non-non-fictional. They've always been non-fiction. Yeah, we've never done a fictional rabbit hole. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Just the way you were phrasing that didn't sound non, right. And I was like, I don't know yeah, we why. have done non-fiction. Yeah. Yeah. But we haven't done a fiction. We haven't done a fiction podcast. one before, which I thought would be fun. Yeah. Kind of less eerie, less spooky. It's all fake and shit. Yeah. So it's like, let's just enjoy it. But... um. I, we have some housekeeping stuff to take care of, but first, I kind of want to get this beer. Yeah, let's get into this on. beer. Um, guys, we have a new beer to review this week, uh, as per usual, as we it, like. I feel like it kind of worked out with the type of beer, at least the name and everything. Um, kind of worked out with the fact that it's an utter scorcher outside. Yeah. The last, I guess you call it, summer beer for the season, if you will. It's officially fall, which is annoying. It's October, guys. We don't want a summer beer anymore, but... Rye, why don't you give us what we got? Yeah, so this week we have um, Tropical Situation. Uh, we do have a Tropical Situation here <laughs> weather-wise, but also the beer is called Tropical Situation. Uh, it's an American-style pale ale, so it's an APA, from Silversmith Brewing Company. Um, so it's got a little situational little descriptor here. Mm. This flavored beer blends big fruity flavors with smooth savoriness and a quenching crisp finish. The bright aroma of pineapple is matched with zesty hops to create a truly amazing tropical situation. Um, and then underneath it has a much loved legacy brew from Black Oak Brewing Company. So I feel like they probably took some 
inspo uh, or continued on a legacy uh, beer brew. Yeah. The uh, owners so probably yeah. know them or so. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's tropical situation. A very fun can. Very tropical like colors and yeah. design. Yeah. Um, it's like that like kind of like um, like 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 like. Um, sorry, I actually just felt like I said it a lot. Um, but it's got that pinky salmony background with palm fronds, and then the kind of like shape of Silversmith Brewing Company's, um, yeah, like brewery like, in Niagara on the Lake. It looks like the old church that they're in. Yeah. Um. So it just kind of laid out as their logo there. So I think I'm just gonna yell at you now whenever you say like. It's, it's like a word. sorry. <laughs> uh, and just go. No, when you just, no, but when you do. Yeah. It's like a, when you use it as sort yeah. of a simile right, or, right. you know, when you bridge it like that, then sure. Right. We're, we're fit, but when you use it but as just, a filler, like, um, or really uh, bad for that when I was younger. Too. So I used to get, not picked on, but I used to get called out for it a lot. Um, but it reminds me of, we just recently rewatched Just Go With It. And at one point, the, the daughter, um, um, is saying how in her improv class, every time someone yells no, because in improv, it's always yes and. Yes and. So whenever someone yells no, they all yell, or says no, they all yell die. So yeah. you just need to start doing that. Every time I say like, when it's- yelling yell even louder at you. Die. <laughs> well, because I'm the same way. I used to say um and oz a lot. And in conversation, it would always strike. I've gotten a lot better with that. Usually on the podcast, I try to never say um and oz if I can keep that train of thought going. But it takes me literally, it's going to take a literal train of thought. Like I have to be so focused to get all of the words out without ums, ahs, or likes. But, you know, like is in my vocabulary in that same sense. It's a filler word. Yeah. Because it usually describes, you know, it's it's a it's a good filler word. But I think my, it's easy to utter that one a lot more well, than is needed yeah. because it's used for things like similes in a way to when we were describe something. When we were teenagers and it was like our the fa- our favorite word. It was every like, other word we're using like this, like that. My mom got so mad at me the yeah. one time. She would like just caught it right away. Yeah. She's she like, like, why are you, how are you doing that? Like, how is that even? Yeah. So anyways, uh, back on track. Yeah. Nice. It is radical. So we're going down them wherever we can. Um, we are sipping our APAs from Silversmith. Um, they are local to Niagara region and we've had a few of their beers before. We've been there once mm-hmm. on a nice little, uh, quick occasion. And I think recently they just upgraded their branding of their cans and their logo and everything, which is so much more aesthetically pleasing for them. They're, they are basically, their location is basically a church. So they kind of got this really nice church um Cathedral what do you call it like uh stained glass window yeah like shape yeah uh, which is very pretty i i like it a lot you're yeah. making interesting faces over there i i'm so, really enjoying the beer yeah honestly. okay cool that's good to know but yeah why are you looking up i'm uh, sorry i was just because the actual um like location on the can is etobicoke in toronto um, oh. So I wanted to look up Silversmith is so they actually so they have their church, which is their tap room um, and which is in Virgil, which is in like Toba. Niagara. Oh, right. Yes. Sorry. But they and then they have the brewery, which I think is just where they straight up just do the brewing and the canning um, at in Etobicoke. Sorry. Interesting. So, yeah, I just I never really realized that. I always thought it was like a brew, so brewed in Etobicoke, brew and tap room. But tap it looks room, like yeah. they've got it's mostly just like the tap room and everything that's, at the church. That's so. really neat and very interesting. But yeah. they might have the space to uh, do tapping for um, other brands as well. I know a lot of places 
are like, hey, we are just a brewing thing. Like, so we'll brew your, it's like we'll brew your batches. Exactly. Yeah. We'll brew your batches in our, yeah. in our kegs yeah. and stuff. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so let's get into the actual beer. So the beer review, um, I like oh, it a lot. This it is, is like, really light, refreshing. I taste the pineapple. I taste the hops. They're light uh, in the forefront sort of of the flavor. It's got a great hazy color to it, hazy transparency. And like the fruit's really lovely. So it cuts the hops a little bit to where you're getting like, a good flavor from the hops but it's not overpowering and i think mm. because the hops have that like kind of zesty citrusy vibe it works really well with the pineapple to create that tropical palette and yeah it's a really easy sipper it's an easy sipper and i think the, to that other point when the hops and the fruits um slice each other like that it doesn't feel as heavy mm-hmm. whereas like pale ales in any yeah. sense in the ipas american pale ales regular pale ales session ales they can do that sometimes yeah uh, for sure base fruit or ingredient is a heavier sort of ingredient right Absolutely. so this one definitely doesn't feel that way to me at all no not at all it's really great to sip i'm getting kind of some carbonation from it though yeah some burps coming burps. along we just had dinner guys we did have a great dinner for yeah, HelloFresh. tilapia poke not sponsored um, not sponsored HelloFresh is killing it these weeks guys we are still thoroughly enjoying we've had we've definitely had some good weeks with HelloFresh, and it's still a very big convenience to us so yeah, if you're if, you, if you're one who's been waiting on wanting to give it a try definitely give it i think for us too where uh you know we we spent our childhood watching you know a lot of things being cooked in the kitchen and yes. and did start to kind of get a command for certain dishes ourselves i think this has definitely branched us both out and feeling more comfortable you yes. especially in the kitchen to try new recipes, mix stuff together, um, and just kind of like, again, getting a better sense of the timing and everything. Because some people just kind of like, you know, they have an affinity affinity towards it a lot quicker. Yeah. Uh, Whereas, you know, it was one of those, I was definitely, when I was younger, obviously as I got older, that changed a little bit. But when I was younger, it was a lot of just like tried and true recipes. Right. Um, So being able to kind of feel like, oh, like I can try all these new flavors, new new ways of cooking, new ingredients I've never dealt with before and not feel as intimidated mm-hmm. because I'm going to have that step-by-step process. Right. This is going to totally sound sponsored, but I swear it's not. Yeah. Yeah. But no, and if you guys are interested in HelloFresh, give us a show. We have coupon codes to yeah. help you out with your yeah, first box. Yeah, we get like a run of them in almost every single box. Yeah, we will, we'll, you know, I think you get your first box for free. So that's, you know, upwards of four meals you can get for free and give it a shot. It's mm-hmm. great. Um, same for me though. Like our, our, my family was big enough that like we couldn't, really make we couldn't do a lot of different meals and ingredients and plans and recipes all over the place so it was a lot of tried and true meals yeah for the most part of what i can remember because it just made it easier well the sheer volume of people that your mom was um cooking for right yeah exactly but no HelloFresh has definitely expanded me and just like remember using different spices knowing how to make specific recipes yeah. well with like this the basics ingredients with what, what, you, what you always have in your fridge kind of thing um and then also then yeah trying more but For it's sure. uh we love the good food so absolutely HelloFresh keeps it going yeah. um and some more housekeeping guys um oh, yeah. fun stuff i am a sore boy because i started at 45 <laughs> and i'm proud of it proud of myself for it. i'm gonna yes, shut myself out be. um not gonna go too much into it because if i don't keep it up then it's a waste of time so We'll give it a couple of weeks and then I'll jump into the really kind of getting into what you felt. Oh, yeah, I'll of, be able to talk about, about it more it. too. And but so far, so good with a couple of classes that you've been to. Yeah, I've got a couple of classes under my belt. Um, I have a lot of friends and coworkers who have done it as well. So lots of good to be said about F45. If you guys have heard about it and want to give it a shot, I'd recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's that. We 
a new restaurant has opened up near us called Fat Rabbit. Y'all. Okay, so it's basically a butcher shop and restaurant in one. They have a ton of like, you know, fresh cut meats. They have a ton of cured meats available um, as well as like other condiments and like a fridge of stuff. And it's just a really like interesting menu um, of what they have to offer depending on what you're kind of looking for. It definitely feels more like a locally sourced place as well, which yes. is really, really great. Um, but yeah, it's like literally a five minute walk, I'd say, from us um, called Fat Rabbit. We enjoyed breakfast sandwiches there um, before um, one of my shifts over the weekend and absolutely phenomenal. It's a brioche bun. Yes. Um, kimchi sausage. Smothered in hot honey. And top with, I think it was a Gruyere cheese. Gruyere cheese and then obviously egg. And then an egg, obviously. Uh, uh, but oh my goodness, guys, it was like melt in your mouth. The The flavor profile was phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, it was just a really well, and it was a hearty sandwich. It was hearty. It was good. And it, and it was um, exactly what you want in the morning, you know, something with some good protein. Yeah. Um, the egg was perfectly cooked, which I feel like you you what you expect at a place like that but like they just opened they they literally are brand new guys um so it's such a good yeah we went on saturday they had uh, done their like what their grand opening they had a soft launch on the thursday they were open the friday we went the saturday yeah exactly so. so it was something that uh that we had been following their page for a while waiting for their opening up and and again, we got a chance to, it was really cool because we like went like first thing. Mm -hmm. um, so it was pretty quiet. So we got a chance to really, again, it was like fresh and new. So a lot of the staff is definitely obviously eager to get people excited about the place. Um, but we were able to like look through the menu while we waited, look around at what they had to offer between the uh, the front cases and just other stuff that they had. Uh, and then talk to one of the girls that worked there and really kind of get a feel for, you know, what she recommends off the menu, how some of their menu options work um, and all that kind of stuff. And it was just really, really fun to get to kind of be there right at the beginning for yeah. something in a local area uh, to really get an understanding, something different than what we've come across before yeah. and kind of feel like, OK, yeah, we can definitely return to this place and like be early proponents of please go try this place out. Yeah, they Definitely seem to be on that scale of uh, of a very, very nice place. Um, again, butcher shop, restaurant, and yeah. one. They are in St. Catharines. Yeah. Uh, definitely a specialty place. For sure. They're a specialty place. Um, and it's a, they're called Fat Rabbit. They just opened. You can look them up on Instagram and such. Uh, if you're ever in the area of Niagara, definitely would recommend. It's Especially a cute little spot. Yeah. Small house team. Uh, great service uh, mm -hmm. so far what we've seen. Super so, friendly. Um, yeah. I, and we're definitely going back. So... Um, it definitely feels like their breakfast sandwich is a highlight on their menu. Oh, I, sure. I, I don't think they expected that, but when you make something that good. Yeah, like it's just expect, how it goes, right? Know. But I'm definitely excited for a few other things that they have on their menu and to see how that kind of rotates through over time. Yeah. Yes. So uh, some good, good stuff happening lately, guys. It's just been busy, yeah. busy, busy. Yeah. And more to come. We've got fair coming up. We've got my birthday coming up. We've got Loki coming up. Oh, yeah. So lots to talk about next week. But before we get into all of that uh, or actually we're not we're getting into all that next week before we do any of that we still have one thing to do uh and it's clicking the button and playing that intro roll it
And welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Oh, boy. Ryan was just teasing me about my birthday gifts. I can't have anything early yeah, and she wants Curtis to wrap them. has been asking me because, um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, depending on what you're getting, you want to be on the ball with it. And there was some stuff that I knew was going to take a bit potentially to get here. So I, you know, got it's it. It's been a while since you've had these gifts. So it's Let's been a while and stuff's been sitting around. I'm really proud of you for not getting sneaky. Although you have for had sure. some moments of questioning me to almost try and get an answer out of me. I do it as a joke. 100% as a joke. I know, joke. but I don't you care. wouldn't make me say something. I guess. would love to open up a gift early just to like, pa- like give myself that you know, time. Yeah. Because it's like, it's anxiety. It's right. It's like, mm-hmm. it's anxious to get yeah. there. And I just want like one small gift. I'm like, okay, that's done. Yeah. Like I can, like, I can cross that thing off the list. Yeah. Because I, like, of course I have made some sort of small birthday list. Anyways. Yeah. Anyways. But me. so um, basically I was teasing Curtis and I said, how much torture would it be if I wrapped your gift? Because I'm off tomorrow uh, as we're recording this on a Tuesday. Um, I'm off tomorrow. So I was like, how much torture would it be if I wrapped your gift and left it on the side table? Yeah. <laughs> out in the open for you. So. Uh, so yeah, that would be fun. Uh, we can't wait. But <laughs> anyways, guys, a fun episode this week. We're gonna Hi, do guys. a fun rabbit hole. You get to listen to Ryan chatter, 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 and give us her beautiful ASMR voice. Absolutely. Well, I'll try. Uh, definitely, just go all out. Okay. Like you're reading a story. Beautiful. Um, and you know what? I don't even want to talk anymore. Okay. Ryan, take it away. So shut up, Curtis. Just I'm kidding. shutting up. <laughs> Um, All right, guys. So I want to preface this by saying, um, you know, in the horror movie pantheon, especially when it comes to, you know, the classic like movie killers of franchises, there are plenty of them that are very, very well known. But I like to refer to these three that I'm going to cover as the big three of the genre. The trifecta. They have some of the longest franchises. They are some of the most well known um what like most reproduced when it comes to all forms of media as well as merchandise um and those killers are michael myers jason Voorhees, and freddy krueger um so basically the point of today is just going to be a fun little deep dive into the histories of the characters themselves a little bit of kind of like fun facts of their franchises as well as the characters um, and really kind of getting into chatting about all of that because these are some of my favorite horror franchises and I know a lot of the stuff off just the you know the top of my head the back of my head and also um is it there like a little bit of like a connection thing with like Freddy versus Jason in a sense there is so it's it's funny because the horror movie genre especially when it comes to these like franchise killers there's a constant want for crossovers yes. and mashups yes and there's been many attempts, I think, in the past to develop scripts and things like that. Um, and the only one that fully f- came to fruition was uh, Freddy versus Jason uh, that was in the early 2000s. Um, the funny thing with that one is that there was that constant want to to especially match up these two guys is because they, you know, directly um, were huge, huge franchises in the 80s. And it was a really, really big deal, those two main characters. And it was just like prolific body counts. Um, and things like that. And I think you kind of have the dichotomy of this, like, you know, um, very, like, in-your-face, you know, inhuman, in, um, you know, voiceless killer that's, like, stalking you around. And then you have this other guy who is this, like, otherworldly, menacing spirit, wisecracking dream hunter of of a guy in Freddy Krueger and um it's just like a really interesting kind of comparison between the two um so I think it was a, a big thing in the horror community to get them to um kind of face off 
um, and have a battle of the right. the big guys. So uh, yeah, yeah, there's the connection there. So a little bit of the crossover, but I think yeah. that's really the only one. So um, I know for me, my preface is that I'm a big Mike Myers fan, Mike yes. Myers fan, uh, yeah. both of them. Um, and <laughs> so... <laughs> uh but like you know getting into the sorry it's actually kind of funny that it you are a big fan of both of them because i find that they kind of both cover the two genres of of movies and stories in general comedies and horror that tend to be the most expressive for people's um uh innate like tendencies or to be able to deal with emotions and things like that either get really dark or you need to laugh or both yeah um and and comedy and horror have been referred to a lot uh within like industries and especially when it comes to writers and things like that as two opposite sides of the same coin when it comes to telling stories about humans and human emotion yeah um so i just find it really funny that yeah well yeah i guess to rabbit hole that too is that um i actually it's very funny and people don't really know that because whenever i start seeing a bunch of stuff about um key and peel yeah people always make comments that oh you know when they're doing their sketches on their comedy sketches it's like oh i like i can't believe this is the jordan peel that made the movie us and nope and get out and it's like but it's so funny because so many of their sketches you see that though yeah you you do um you do see some horror in their sketches but it's the writing that's very much people like, I don't know how you can do both. But Keegan actually puts it like literally perfect in a interview he was doing, which basically is like in both genres, you're looking for a way to like go off track from what the audience is expecting. Mm-hmm. Comedy is supposed to be an unexpected, you know, oh, that's it. But it make it funny. But like also you don't have to make it funny. You just have to make it unexpected. And it's the same thing with horror. It's the same thing with scary stuff. You want the unexpected outcome. So it's like when you're writing for comedy or horror, you're trying to be the audience's shoes. Yeah. And then you write something that's like, oh, they're not going to think about yeah. that at all. The only difference is there's a punchline in comedy. Yeah. And there's a jump scare. And in see, that's funny that you bring that up because I was just going to say, though, is they're both building to exactly. the payoff. Exactly. Is you're building up the the tension of the kind of like, oh, my God, where is this joke going to the punchline that gets you laughing and is the release of the emotion. Um, but then in horror movies, yeah, you're building the tension and suspense is making you uncomfortable to get but to in, the scare and every and every aspect whether it's a skit a movie or anything there's still a plot to build there's still a story there's yeah. still characters yeah and you have to really be like you're yeah. you're you have to get a connection with those characters yeah and that's why keegan and peel do the best um because again keegan and peel they do they are the best because they make you love the characters because yeah. they're so just in it they're, yeah. they're great actors so yeah. anyways that's my little rant there but anyways, sure. who are we starting with for sure so um i thought about it a few different ways to kind of go about these guys and i thought well why don't we just start chronologically with introduction of the characters um so we are going to start with curtis's favorite mr michael myers Woo-hoo. um otherwise known as the shape hello baby um in <laughs> a huge in Um, and actually it's a fun fact in the first movie in the credits um he michael myers is actually credited as the shape the the actor is credited as being called the shape and not michael myers um even though we do hear his name he's he's known as the shape right so he does so he's right so there's there's an actor who plays the shape, though. Uh, yes. Yeah, so um, there's been it's I, okay, so what's also kind of a, a fun 
thing that differentiates some of these characters. So um, Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees have been portrayed by multiple different actors and stunt guys, whereas Freddy Krueger is the only one other than the remake in 2010, which we are not going to be discussing in any way, shape, or form. Today. Thank goodness. Um, um, has only been played by one man, and that is wow. Yes. Good for this Robert guy. England has played every single iteration of Freddy Krueger, nice. whether it be in movies, in the TV show, etc. Um, and his like vocal quality, whether it be him or like kind of meshed together or him himself, has been used in other projects involving Freddy. Um, whereas, you know, you have, I can't remember the exact number, unfortunately. Right. Um, but I think it's been like 11 different people or 10 different people, um, have played Jason. And I think it's been like eight or something like that. I was just an eight for, for I guess there's been a lot of Halloween movies, but yeah, that's so interesting. Well, and so I'm going to get into it. Yeah, I had, so it's, it's funny because we got for, lots to do. I'm I know sorry, we No, right. it's okay. It, it's funny because they're. Another thing with these two is um, these are some prolific franchises as well for either having multiple timelines uh, or like one kind of through line, but it's been retconned so many times in order to make the the main story still stay intact and, and keep solid. Whereas I feel like other franchises have done a really good job at maintaining the continuity a little bit better mm. without kind of backpedaling on things. Um, so we'll get into it, but you know, if you're familiar with horror genres and, and have watched a lot of the franchises, um, you know, uh, franchises like, um, you know, Don Mancini writing for the, you know, Child's Play Chucky franchise um, or just in how, obviously other than a few plot holes, the writing when it comes to the Scream franchise, when it comes to kind of connecting all the movies together, still keeping it one story um, has done a lot better, I feel. Um, than some of the <laughs> right. these ones. Right. Um, but yeah, so we're going to start with Michael Myers. So if you're unfamiliar with the story of Michael Myers for Halloween, um, he was basically, he was born and grew, or I don't know about born, but he grew up in Haddonfield, Illinois. So the basically uh, American Midwest. As a young boy, he killed his sister, Judith Myers, one night on Halloween, um, went up to her bedroom, still dressed in his costume, and stabbed her with a uh, chef's knife. Uh, he was later committed um, and sent to a me uh, mental hospital, whether this was the original place he went to or he eventually got transferred there. Um, but he ended up, you know, later in life um, being at Smith's Grove um, is the mental institution that he's known to um, be a patient at within the Halloween universe, uh, which is where he was treated by Dr. Sam Loomis. Um, Sam Loomis is like a child psychiatrist, psychologist, um, and is shaken to his core um, and has like fought for years and years to have Michael stay locked up because he has just seen what he describes as pure evil within uh, Michael's eyes. He definitely sees him as just like an unthinking, unfeeling, just killing yeah. machine that is a danger to everybody. Um, so for the first movie, this is where we kind of get thrown into after uh, basically being shown um, Michael killing his sister Judith. We get kind of great film, by yeah. the way, for that. Very good. That film. great, great scene, great camera work. Yeah, on that one. yeah. For for basically like first really big venture out for uh, Mr. John Car Carpenter and his writing partner, especially when it came to the Halloween franchise, Deborah Hill. Um, considering the budget that they had, phenomenal movie mm -hmm. and a lot of the POV work. Yes, we saw. Um, so to kind of get into horror movie history really quickly. 
um, the year before uh, Halloween came out, Black Christmas came out, which is um, one that was like mostly produced shot in Canada with a lot of Canadian actors, um, was known as one of, other than a movie called Peeping Tom, one of the only ones to really start around that 70s era leading into the 80s with the POV shots of the killer. Right. Um, before you would kind of just get like more of a, you know, omnipresent view like you would any other movie. Um, but, you know, between Black Christmas and Halloween coming out within a year of each other that showed instances of those POV shots for the killer really popularized um, that being used in a lot of different horror films, especially in killer films. Um, but anyway, so, uh, yeah, we get that POV shot of him killing Judith. And then we kind of flash forward to many years later um, on, well, technically slightly before Halloween. But anyways, we um, get introduced to Lori, uh, who is a teenage girl in Haddonfield, uh, wonderfully portrayed by Jamie Lee Curtis, um, as well as a few of her other friends. Um, after we kind of get these initial introductions, we get sent to a really rainy night with Dr. Sam Loomis in a car with a nurse, Marion Crane, um, as they are preparing to go to Smith's Grove to prepare for Michael being transferred to another facility. However, during this transfer, um, when they arrive, um, all hell is absolutely broken loose at Smith's Grove and there are patients every which way around the area. Yeah, I think a bus broke down or like crashed um, or something. No, so that was later. Okay. That was in a different movie. Okay. Um, but um, they like they're driving onto the property and they're finding all of these right um, patients everywhere. And uh, basically, they get out to investigate, and Michael surprises them, steals the car, somehow knows how to drive the car after being locked up in a mental facility for basically since he was like seven years old. Right. Um, but Michael breaks out of the hospital during the transfer and steals the car. I love how that's your like one little tip. Somehow knows how to drive. Well, it's something that like continually, continuously comes up on this first movie. It's like, how the hell did he get driving lessons? Like, like, it's crazy, but driving lessons. I mean, I'm pretty sure the car like, was it like keep straight while he drives away initially, but then he's fine. He's chilling. He's cruising along every time we see him in the car afterwards. Um, but anyway, so basically, um, Loomis figures out as he's driving away that it's Michael and he has an idea as to where Michael is going. Um, and then Michael, basically, we see within this first film, Michael heads to Haddonfield um, and spends the entirety of Halloween terrorizing the town of Haddonfield, Illinois, and goes after um, Lori Strode and her friends during one night. Um, they're, you know, they're all they're babysitting, meeting up with boyfriends, whatever. Um, and he goes after them. Lori does survive by the end of the movie. And by the end of the movie, um, it is kind of a cliffhanger where Michael just seemingly disappears into the dead of night. Um, and wow. that is what happens. So he spends the whole night terrorizing. A little more after. than that, but. What do you mean? Fucking Luna shoots the guy a fucking hundred times. Well, yeah, he gets shot a bunch, but like it's that's why I said cliffhanger. Like he just somehow seemingly disappears. That's what I'm saying. So they find him at the one house and then the. the Sorry, I'm skipping over stuff from the movie because I can't go play by play. No, I know. But like movie. this is the big thing about like why he's such an important character to me is the man gets shot like six times in the chest by Lewis's revolver. Yeah. The man falls off the balcony of his yeah. sister's of his sister's bedroom. I'm pretty sure uh, of the house that he. No, like, I think it's one of the other houses. That okay, so like a house. Sitting at or but like he gets shot and then he was pushed back by the impacts. Obviously, falls off the balcony. Lewis like, okay, I got the guy. Leans over the thing. Nobody on the ground. That's where the movie cuts yeah. out. It's like 
okay, so the man's still alive. He ran yeah. away. He got he got away. Yeah. So then from but that- But that's point, where he kind of becomes this like entity of being this unkillable stalking exactly. machine. Yes. And, the mo- and further movies attest to that of like, exactly. no matter what, how many bullets you put in this man. Exactly. Yeah. He's, he's one that will never die. He almost just becomes truly like when Loomis saw that like pure evil in him, he essentially becomes a vehicle of yeah. pure evil. And that's why he can't seem to die is because he's, he's much more, man. he's much more than human apparently. Correcto. So to kind of, that's the general backstory. Like that's the basis of everything you need to know about Michael Myers. Yeah. The more interesting about thing about, um, Sorry, I'm burping because the carbonation. Um, the Halloween franchise in general is that for the longest time it was uninterrupted continuity. We had um the first movie, the sequel to it, the third movie is its own thing when John Carpenter tried to make the franchise an anthology instead. Um, nobody really gave it the credit it deserved or liked it at the time because they were expecting more Michael movies. Um, so the, you know, the franchise laid dormant for a little while and then towards the late eighties, they brought it back again with four five and six, right. <laughs> um, that were kind of this like continuity of the story that really added to this mythos and a bunch of crazy stuff that I'll get into. Um, and then we have these kind of, um, soft reboot moments, um, where we'll have, um, this is where we'll kind of see, oh, he found his toy. I'm so yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Um, where we'll kind of see that where these separate timelines start to kind of branch off. So um, we have those three movies, uh, four, five, and six, and then we have a 20 years later. So it actually, um, H2O, which was 20 years after the first film came out, um, was only a few years after Halloween 6, but it essentially rebooted where it scrapped uh, four, five, and six and continues on from Halloween 2. Correct. So it becomes its own. Halloween 2 or 3. Two, because three is, has nothing to do with Michael. Right, three is just its own three thing. Three is its own thing. It's called Season of the Witch. It's about right. this, like, Irish warlock who wants to, like, turn children into bags of snakes and bugs. That's basically what the movie is through Halloween masks. It's a th- whole thing. It's druid magic. Fun. It has nothing to do with Michael Myers. That's but so then, weird. That's so funny. Anyways, sorry, go ahead. Um, I'm saying go ahead to go myself. Ahead. Okay, go well, ahead to go- myself. The go ahead is that we're, you have to speed all this up. Yeah, I understand, but we got a little sidetracked a couple times. We do. Um, so anyways, um, so we have that now, what people refer to as the H2O timeline uh, with that movie, as well as Halloween Resurrection, which is the sequel to that. And then we have Rob Zombie over with his little reboots, where it gets much more into the psychology of Michael Myers as a young boy. Um, and adds a little bit more to his initial backstory beyond just killing his sister. Um, it's an interesting foray into the Halloween um, history. He definitely adds a lot. We are with childhood Michael until about like 40 minutes into the movie, um, the first one. And then the second one just really goes off the rails. Uh, We won't really be talking about Rob Zombie's timeline and history of Michael just because it's it's a lot to get into by itself. Yeah, we have the time. Uh, we have no time. Um, and then we have 2018 rolls around because Rob Zombie was like 2000s. Uh, 2018 rolls around with a reboot that completely um, rewrites over everything except for the very first movie. So Halloween 1978, um, that in this like H40, they call it. Uh, timeline um, is the first movie and then it's Halloween 2018 Halloween um, kills and Halloween ends correct so 
this is where it kind of separates. So I'm going to start with the age 40 timeline because it's the most simplistic kind of through line through everything. So basically what you get out of this timeline is this kid who killed his sister, grows up, um, breaks out of the mental hospital, uh, Craze Killer targets a group of friends of young babysitters randomly. Um, this then traumatized girl grows up to live as a recluse um, prepared for in fear um, for his return decades later and which he actually does. So right. uh, Laurie Strode, just unseeming, un like random girl that gets targeted by this crazed killer um, and then kind of dedicates the rest of her life for, for, for preparing for his eventual return which it does, and you kind of see this multi-generational trauma motif throughout these uh, final films. Um, but yeah, that's all it is, is just this woman who is absolutely traumatized by this uh, crazed killer. Um, it's a moral crazed killer. Yeah, la later gets her revenge. Um, the second timeline, which is the H2O timeline. Okay, is... we don't, sorry. We do okay. not have time to go through all the timelines. Okay, sorry. Anyways. I'm sorry. The... I know you have amazing notes, and I want to hear them because he's my favorite, but we also have Lots of others that we have no type. Okay, well, I guess the other biggest thing to cover them when it comes to the history of this character is that other than the H2O timeline, ever, or sorry, H40 timeline, everything else kind of plays off the idea that Laurie Strode is actually this long-lost missing sister of Michael's. Um, and that kind of plays like a huge factor into how they interact and what the stories are. Right. Um, the biggest differences between one timeline versus the other that talks about this is that one kind of just involves this like weird family drama and the other involves druid magic. I like nice. Perfect. Okay, that's summed, it. summed it all up. Um, okay. So now we're gonna get into um Jason Voorhees. So um I didn't know his last name either. Yeah, Voorhees. Voorhees. Um so the Friday the thirteenth franchise then comes out kind of on the eighties because L um Sean Cunningham was a producer who wanted to kind of recreate the magic of what happened with Halloween and how much it took everybody by storm. So comes up with this idea of this crazed killer at a summer camp um, targeting camp counselors. So the character of Jason Voorhees, um, what we know about him is as a young boy, he actually used to attend Camp Crystal Lake. And he was described as being very kind of deformed, outcast, kind of made fun of and bullied and ignored by all of the um, campers there as well as counselors and the counselors at Camp Crystal Lake were very neglectful and very horny but you know it's an 80s movie so yes, that's okay. kind of a staple of a lot of those slashers yeah, is that true. you know you have sex and you die so uh, <laughs> basically that's what happens is he he drowns in a lake while the campers that were supposed or sorry the, the counselors that were supposed to be watching over him and the other kids um, were off getting busy in a cabin somewhere so they weren't there to kind of help gotcha. make sure that nothing happened to wow he's really just testing my my limits right now um, but anyway so that's how so, so Jason drowns in the lake um, and then we get absolutely years later the camp had been shut down for a little while gets rebooted back up and we get introduced to all these like fresh kind of camper uh, camp counselors that are preparing for the new summer uh, camp season yeah and slowly but surely, one by one, everybody starts dying. Well, with our first movie there, the biggest, uh, the most interesting about this franchise is the very first movie um, in this franchise is the killer that's known for all the other movies isn't actually the killer in the first movie. It's his mother, Pamela Voorhees, is the killer in, in the first Friday the 13th. And then from then on, uh, we get a jump scare of like Jason out of the lake at the end of that one. And then he is the killer from every movie after that. That's so weird. Yeah. So he actually doesn't die or is he like an undead type? So of he's, he's, I think what, what the point is, is he is more of like an un, 
I, it, it, you know what's funny is from what I remember of them and even in recaps of kind of revisiting some of the lore around these, it's never distinctly specified because it almost feels like a dream sequence at the end of the first movie when he jumps out of the lake to get after like the survivor girl. And so we don't know if maybe he's just like lived around the camp on his own somehow all these years or he's actually like an undead, right. you know, killer. Right, he comes out of the water. Yeah, but but he's like a child still kind like of there. thing maybe? Well, well, no. So when he comes out of the water, he still kind of looks like an, an, an adolescent boy, but then he's this like grown killer by the second movie. So it's it's a whole thing that we don't really know how or why, but it's not really explained, but... Sure enough, in, you know, the second movie onwards is we have this, like, undead, stalking, you know, unspeaking killer who targets um, all these counselors, especially if they're being naughty. Um, we see a bunch. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So his targets are, like, horny camp counselors. Basically, yeah. Sweet. Like, this This was the big franchise that, that was the proponent of, like, you know, the staple of the horror slasher genre of you know um if you're if you're uh, a virgin you're probably the survivor girl otherwise you have sex you smoke pot you drink you die like this was the franchise that really uh, kind see. of popularized that formula gotcha. or those tropes um within the genre if you will um this was also one of the first franchises that really kind of played into the kind of running jokes with a lot of bigger franchises of where they're going to go to next um, we, he would, you know, Jason was at Camp Crystal Lake for a really long time with varying degrees of like a child who defeats him, um, a girl with like telekinetic powers defeats him. Then he goes to, uh, Manhattan, but he actually doesn't go to Manhattan. He's just on a boat the entire time. Um, and then by Jason X, he's in space. Um, and in he's space. in space. And then before that, he was hunted down by the FBI and became a bunch of like worm demons possessing people. It was a whole thing. What the uh, heck? So they did they did the Fast and Furious route. They it's first. It's but that's the thing that is they were the ones that really kind of started it. You see all these other franchises that then start to do that later. And it's almost becomes this running joke within horror movies. Um that it's like you have all these like kind of absurd situational stuff and then eventually your franchise gets long enough and you end up in space yeah exactly that's 100 yeah. what the joke is is like yeah oh you haven't been in space yet Absolutely. So you're getting there with whatever yeah. you whatever you are as a being or a main plot cars in space Absolutely. was what i joked about for fast exactly yeah. and it's so funny because they and and what's interesting about this too is i don't have a lot of extra ad because that's basically all jason is right. is a you know a deformed bullied kid who died at a camp his mom went on a revenge spree and then he then went on a revenge spree that lasted a bajillion movies um he like cannot die no matter what um i'm gonna say that's because he's undead i'm just because he's sure let's go with that because he's undead if you need an explanation for it um and it's just like this whole through line of movies that has an unending continuity we we are basically not told otherwise through any of these movies to believe otherwise that all of this stuff isn't like sequential happening with each other um and all of it's connected so you go from like first movie all the way to jason x in space and it's still the same jason it's still the same continuity of people and a history and all that kind of stuff whereas you see different timelines and versions of things with the other gotcha. ones so I don't think that, yeah, I think that's a great explanation. I think that's about it. There's really I'm not satisfied. Much. It's funny because it's such a big titan in the genre, but there's not much to Jason. But I think that's kind of the but perfect he's description. The, he's the one with the hockey mask, right? He is the one with the hockey mask. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he's one of the most easily recognizable. There's not a lot to him. Cool. Um, but it's really interesting because of the kind of uh, all the fan stuff around him. But anyways, yeah. 
So now we're going to get to one of my favorites of the horror genre. Wolverine. Close, but not quite. Uh, I, I, he does have blades on his hands. Yes, but, exactly. Uh, Edward Scissorhands. They were of his own design. It's not Edward Scissorhands. He wasn't a topiary artist. Um, <laughs> it is Freddy Krueger, the villain of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. So the interesting thing about Freddy is that in the first movie, it's not totally clear. It's mostly hinted at for a bunch of pre-production stuff that I think I've talked about in other episodes before when we've discussed horror movies. Um, but basically the gist of Freddy Krueger is that while he was alive, because he is, you know, a supernatural being now who haunts dreams, he's a dream killer. But when he was alive as a human, um, he was a man who was a child murderer and abuser. Um, and that is where things like, you know, his gloved knife fingers and all that kind of stuff comes from. Um, but yeah, so that is kind of his origin story, um, in the town that he was at, um, Again, just kind of middle America vibes. Um, but basically, he the the gist of his story is he gets arrested um, and then either gets let go or the trial, he eventually gets acquitted, whatever. Either way, he he escapes custody, custody or some sort of justice for what he's done to um, the children of Springwood, um, which is the, the cities that he's in. So he he gets released and the parents of Springwood like get revenge on him. They trap him in his like, you know, little layer of depravity and they set the whole thing ablaze. And that is where we get the burned up Freddy that we see is because he was lit on fire and burned to death. Oh. Yes, that's why he looks so gnarly because that's burned skin. Um, yeah, he looks like freaking Deadpool. Low key. Yeah, so it's because of all the all the burnt skin and, uh, and all that kind of stuff from him being set on fire by the parents of Springwood. Um, when we get to the also, what a bunch of fuckers! It's kind of yeah, kind of harsh. Yeah, it's it's vigilantism taken to the utmost extreme. Yeah. Um, but basically, when we get in the first movie, we start to see him go after um all of the children of Springwood, and he um basically gets revenge on all of them for the sins of the parents. So basically, he's like a revenge-driven character. He is, instead of targeting the parents, though, he's going after all the kids in their dreams. Um, seemingly, obviously, because he's like, you know, a child killer, even though he dealt with children, not teenagers. But I also feel like it just kind of plays into the idea of, you know, teenagers are the subject of slasher films. And, you know, yes, they're teenagers, but they're still kids at the end of the day. They're still a lot easier to scare rather than grown adults are a lot more kind of um, pragmatic about things, whereas right. kids will kind of feed into that hysteria, I think, a what, little bit more. Wait, okay. Did I miss... So, Freddy was locked up before. So, he... he um, From the... Because there's a couple different um, points in the timeline of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies where they discuss what happened to him before he got burned by the parents. Right. Like, um, how he got... Because you said he was released. Yeah. Like, so he was in prison? Like, before... So, yeah, basically, like so there's two whatever. different ways where he, like, he basically gets released from jail when he gets, like, originally arrested for the crimes. Mm -hmm. Or there's one scene in, like, the TV show that's connected to the canon uh, where he actually goes on trial and then he gets acquitted. So, like, do we never find out how he went to jail in the first place? Well, he's a child killer. Oh, okay. So that's what, that's what I said. He was a child oh, killer. Was original only intention in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah We don't yeah. see any of that, though. We just know he We don't children. see him actively targeting Before children. Before he got arrested. He's like, okay, so he... Gets arrested, gets released, gets yeah. burned. Yeah, dies. there's there's implications. Yeah, there's there's scenes dreams. of implication later in the franchise, and I think in the TV show, 
Freddy's nightmares that he kind of like acts okay. like that. So there was okay. That's the I just. Stuff, but anyways, I like that backstory stuff. But if it doesn't exist, then it doesn't exist. Well, it's not that it doesn't exist. It's just not as dug into as maybe right. some other film, just because of of. Yeah, well, so at the time of the first movie coming out, there was a bunch of like big things going on with um, um, because I was talking about the Satanic Panic, uh, and that I this is where I talked about it was during the Satanic Panic episode. Um, that we did was uh, basically there was like the Mick something preschool. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but basically there was a huge like satanic abuse story coming out about everything there. So all of that was happening at the same time that Freddie was about to come out. Right. So or that Nightmare on Elm Street was about to come out. So Wes Craven was like, mm, let's maybe downplay the exact nature of his origins as a killer and why he got like burned and all this kind of stuff. We'll hint to it, but we won't actually say what it is because it may upset people. Sure. Anyways, but yeah. Anyways, so. okay. So so yeah. So then he haunts kids' dreams. Yeah. So he haunts kids' dreams. He's able to kill them in their dreams. Yeah. So basically, that's the that's the crux of how he kills these kids. Is he targets them with their fears and eventually kills them. And which by whichever like dream magic, whatever yeah. is involved with him, is when he kills you in your dreams, you die for real. So and the big kind of challenge is is that you know these kids will all try and like fight to stay awake. So that they don't fall asleep because once they fall asleep, they're now in the dream world that he has control over and they're more at risk of getting hurt or dying. Um, but then we have our, especially in the first film, one of our like main final girls that pops up a few times in the franchise um, is Nancy. Um, and she basically realizes, and this is a recurring thing with some of the main girls, final girls in the franchise of you know, she realizes that she can actually pull stuff out of the dream world um, because of her interactions with Freddy. So then she devises a plan to bring him out into the real world to kill him. Um, so that's how the final, the first movie ends is her bringing him out. Um, but then, of course, by some like freaky deaky, you know, Voodoo. horror movie, horror movie, uh, you know, cliffhanger, jump scare uh, ending sort of stuff is we basically see that like Freddy's not actually dead. Um, he's just, you know, finds some way to kind of, you know, maybe have to be you know away from them for a while but he'll build his strength back up and he'll return um and then we we see this franchise more of it's one single continuity for the most part but it has multiple different types of like final girls per se so the second movie deals with a kid named jesse and he actually moves into nancy's old house um and finds slowly all the stuff that kind of gets him thinking about freddy and then Freddy starts coming to him and his dreams in order to possess Jesse as his vessel um, and kind of attacks Jesse and his new friends that he's making because he just moved to this new town. Um, the third movie deals with a bunch of kids at a mental hospital who have all been targets of Freddy. Um, and Nancy actually had gone off, gone to school in like child psychology and sleep therapy and all that kind of stuff and actually shows up to help these kids essentially fight Freddy. Um, for her. Yeah. Four and five deal with kind of the, a bit of a continuity of some characters from three into this new group of friends that then deal with Freddy. Um, it's like a whole thing. And in the fifth movie, the one girl who defeated him, quote unquote, in the fourth movie um, gets pregnant. And there's this whole thing where he's trying to like, oh, you know, re-enter so the world. By the characters are usually connected from one movie to another. So for the most part, they have drawn connections to most of them. I think the second one... Um, um, the, the second Nightmare on Elm Street movie is a little bit off from the others, but I th there's callbacks, I think, to it in other films. Um, but they all kind of connect to each other for the most part. And then number six has to deal with years later, 
Um, one of the characters um, that I actually think is like hinted at from another movie as well, actually, funnily enough, um, is he basically leaves the town by some means. I guess Freddy's taken over it, essentially killed all the kids. He somehow escapes and loses his memory and then goes to this halfway house of all these delinquent kids um, and then basically ends up um, being like helped and treated. Oh, I hit my mic. Um, helped and treated by this girl who ends up, spoiler alert, um, being Freddy's daughter from when he was still alive and a human. Oh. And that's how she's able to help defeat him. So it's all this like crazy stuff. Oh, that's uh, kind of fun. Yeah. I, I, usually it's like when it's family, it's like, yeah. oh, they're going to help yeah. one so another. So that's kind of how But they, she's his daughter. She's like, she, fuck this guy. Yeah, she defeats him. And that's basically this, that movie, the sixth movie was be was to be his definitive end as Freddy. Gotcha. Um, And it, basically was we get freddy versus jason and we get another movie that i'll get into in a second um but this was like originally the definitive end which is why they kind of had that you know um origin connection sort of thing um and that's the main timeline of all of it um all connected and some of that actually even gets called upon again in freddy versus jason so you can kind of continue consider that like a a later continuation of that whole original timeline of nightmare movies um, and then we have Wes Craven returns to the franchise years later after doing the first one, because that was the only one he really truly worked on was the first one. He helped with other script development and stuff like that for a few of the other films. But he comes back in the early 90s with New Nightmare. And it's basically kind of like a soft reboot continuation of continuity from the first film where none of the other films have really ha- or none of the other films have like happened um, and New Nightmare deals with all of the characters from the first movie. Their actual actors in real life play themselves. Um, Bob Shea, the main guy. Even older. Yeah, they're older, though. It's okay. fine. Yeah, this yeah. is after. Right. So it basically plays into the... No, the just don't no, get yourself... Bob Shea, just go to read your train of thought. No, I'm going to say, so the, the original Nightmare on Elm Street movie exists as a movie. Right. Right. That Wes Craven created. So Wes Craven plays himself. Bob Shea, the main guy at New Line Cinema that made the first movie, he plays himself. Oh, himself, the actor. Heather Langenkamp, oh. who played Nancy Thompson, plays herself, Heather Langenkamp. Robert gotcha. England gotcha. plays gotcha. Robert gotcha. England, gotcha. as well as Freddie. Um, but basically, the in this in this movie, the, t- the, the, the lore behind it is the first movie happened and it created this whole sensation. Um, you know, Freddy Krueger is a character in this universe. Um, so it's basically supposed to be like our reality put yeah, into film, you're, you're bringing, but basically you're breaking the fourth wall. It's breaking the fourth and wall. bringing the character in there. Exactly, it's breaking the fourth wall. So then, basically, what has to happen is, and it pulled a lot of stuff from real life. It's really interesting. Um, but basically, what happens is that Heather and her son, who like isn't real, she didn't actually have a son in real life, but for the movie, she did, um, start getting targeted and haunted by Freddy. Um, and what it ends up being is she, you know, goes through the movie and blah, blah, blah. Her husband gets killed, blah, blah, blah. And she goes to see Wes and he basically says that um, what it is is that Freddy is actually this ancient evil entity that um, ha- really liked the character of Freddy and used that as a mask to be able to seep into the real world because of everybody's like craze around Freddy. And found its way to kind of like, you know, enter the real world and, and really kind of weasel its way in um, through this character, Freddie. And Heather, as Nancy, is like the only one who can stop him from entering the real world. Hell so she's yeah. got to go into this weird like Hansel and Gretel, like final battle tunnel deep into like the bowels of like this ancient evil That's entity. Crazy. 
And it's absolutely so wait, crazy. Movie, you said the movie came out in the 90s? Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. So 91 or something. So all those six movies beforehand came out between the 70s and or... 80s. All 80s. That's crazy. Yeah. So 1984 is when Nightmare on Elm Street came out. And then it was like back to back to back Each to back. Year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I guess like yearly, that's when it used yeah. to be. But... Yeah, well, that's the thing is actually it's the, the timeline's kind of crazy with some of those movies, especially Nightmare on Elm Street movies, is that they would like come out with one and then it would be like eight months later, they'd have another one. Right. Pick up. Yeah, that, that that happens. And I've seen we've seen movies happen like that, too. But anyways, we are. I've kind of lost track of time. Yeah. We're out of time. Any last... I figured we had to Any last words? Um, No, other than that these are a lot of fun. I barely scratched the surface. This could be like a three-part episode. I feel um, like we should have just did each episode on each character. That's okay, though. After how much you talked about Mike Myers, I was like, you have so much, much more to talk about. more to talk about. But it's funny because they all kind of inform each other. You can see the influences of each other in each of them. Um, the histories behind them are really cool. So I definitely recommend, like, you know, if you're into this sort of stuff, um, seek out um, Nightmares in Red, White, and Blue. It's like this comprehensive history of American horror films with inspo from other countries and genres. Um, and it really kind of talks about a lot of these franchises. Uh, if you like any specific franchises, there are documentaries for each of them out as well. I highly recommend Never Sleep Again if you're a big Nightmare fan. Um, but yeah, there's just a lot of history behind them. There's a lot of lore behind them. And it's just really funny to see how they all kind of work together to kind of create the genre that is mm -hmm. the like slasher franchise film. Even around such a close-knit time, they were so unique yeah. to their um, their you know yeah. plots and stuff, well these so. are the movies you can see where all the tropes that things like scream make fun of right so exactly it's, or or play upon right. um so it's you really see how kind of every horror movie afterwards has been somewhat informed by these franchises which is really cool yeah and like ran said we barely scratched the surface so if you guys are interested in you know maybe a more deep dive maybe it's another rabbit hole part two on one of these characters that you felt more interested in let us know mm -hmm. please let us know mm -hmm. uh but with that being said we are at the end of this episode um hope you guys got your spook on hope your spines yeah. were tingled <laughs> and with that being said we love you guys and we'll catch you guys next week peace